Good morning. This is Bo Matthews, and welcome to Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. Let's Talk is a one-hour program devoted to issues and developments that are of importance to Sedalia and the surrounding communities. By committing an entire hour to a subject, and many times having experts join us in studio, we will be able to delve deeper into the topic of the week and provide you with a fuller understanding of what is happening in our community. This morning's show was pre-recorded. Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. I'm Bo Matthews with John Meehan and Ron Toner, and we have Mary Asbury, the director of Child Safe, and with us too, maybe not saying a whole lot, but Andrew Bruce is in the wing in the room with us this morning. So, Ron, if you want to take things over. Thank you, Bo, and good morning to all of our listeners. Today's program on uh, Child Safe is um, one that I think folks will find very enlightening maybe shocking in in some regard uh they they have a very important place in this community and the things that they do and we're going to get into that in more detail before we uh, start that though i thought uh let's have the executive director uh, mary asbury just give a brief introduction of herself a little bit of her history and then we will jump into child safe Good morning. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. To start out a little bit about me, my name is Mary Asbury. I'm the Executive Director of Child Safe here in Sedalia. I have lived in Sedalia most of my life, um, and I raised my family here. I have three grown children and two grandsons. I started with Child Safe uh, about six and a half years ago, and prior to that, I worked at the um, Children's Division as an investigator, and prior to that, I worked for the Boys and Girls Club. So I've always worked with in some form of a community service type uh, profession. I have a bachelor's and master's both in criminal justice and um, I mean, I've been doing this for a little while to kind of know what's going on and I uh, love to talk about it so thank you again for having us. A few years ago I had the actual privilege Mary of uh, serving on a uh, six-month grand jury here in, in Pettis County and uh, we met once a month uh, mm-hmm. to go over all of the pending cases with the prosecuting attorney sure. uh, Phil Sawyer and uh, Strange enough, at least it seemed to me at the time, a lot of those cases involved children. And we basically were given the basic background of the case and uh-huh. uh, were asked to approve the prosecuting attorney's plan to move forward with the case. And I can tell you, when these cases came up regarding children, the uh, women and men on the grand jury, uh, as we heard the facts, as they were presented to us, many times there was not a dry eye in the room. Correct. Frankly, the things we heard were just horrible. And uh, when I think of you guys and the work that you do, which is just tremendous, and I think it takes a special person to do that, but what you have to go through or what you deal with, what you see, what you hear, uh, I'm sure it's very rewarding but I'm sure it tugs at your heartstrings. It does a lot it's as one of the, well. It's one of the toughest jobs you'll ever have, beside law enforcement and those, you know, any kind of those service type uh, professions. They're tough. You know, Child Safe has been in Sedalia since uh, 
2001 was when they did their first interview. They started gathering money and donations for Child Safe back in the late 90s. And a little history on why that why we even have child advocacy centers are is because back years ago when a child was interviewed or when an allegation came out or a child made a disclosure of sexual or physical abuse, then what happened is they told what happened to them 10 or better times. And so back in the late 90s, that movement began to kind of change and saying, hey, let's provide a place for a child to go in and tell what happened to them um, and only, maybe only have to tell it one or two times because our interviews in the state of Missouri, they don't replace a child needing to testify because in Missouri, we still have the law where the accused has the right to confront his accuser. So that's what this came out of. And back in the day, it was like that old telephone game. A child disclosed somebody, to somebody at school and then that person, like let's say the teacher, the teacher would then go to the principal, and then the principal would go to the counselor, and then we get law enforcement in, and we get children's division in, and then all of a sudden, when the court case would go, enter in the court into prosecution, what happens is we have maybe five or six accounts of what the child said, and people thought right off the bat that child the child lied. And it's not that they lied, it's that everybody has an interpretation of what the child said. So then it really puts the child in a... In a kind of a, a situation where they have to try to prove what happened to them, and no child should ever have to do that. People still believe that kids lie about sexual and physical abuse, especially sexual abuse. But there's some research to show that kids, about 96% of kids are telling the truth. So that's kind of where we began. There was a group of citizens here in Sedai, and um, Sheriff Bond was one of them, that worked really hard, and, and they got a building donated, and I mean, for a little bit of nothing. And I'm, I'm telling you, we saw the, the pictures of it. it. was It was trashed. And they worked on it, worked on it. Um, and that's where we started doing interviews in 2001. And they started with a staff of, like, three. Um, and when I started with Child Safe six and a half years ago, we had I was number six. And now we have 13. On a good day, we have 14. Um, staff. So we've grown, and unfortunately, the need has grown as well. You know, as you started this out, uh, the two primary things you mentioned were dealing with children that have been subject to sexual abuse or physical abuse. Uh-huh. Could you maybe take a basic example sure. of how uh, one of these issues would, would come up? how you get involved, sure. where, where you go from there, mm-hmm. the, just, just the, the basic the process, process so, so, our, so our listeners understand just how it works. So in the state of Missouri, when a hotline call comes in, somebody suspects child abuse and neglect, or maybe the child has made a disclosure, it goes into the state, into the CAN unit in Jeff City, into Children's Division, and from there it goes to the county where the child resides. And then that's how we get our referrals. We get our referrals from law enforcement and Children's Division, and once while we get them from prosecution um, and the J.O., we can take referrals from them. And it meets a criteria. So on sexual abuse, it's not really a huge criteria because what we know is that kids, either they don't tell or they only give small details. Um, Physical abuse, it's usually if there's severe bruising, broken bones, burns, things like that. And so with sexual abuse, we see that's probably the majority of our cases. I would say over 92% of our cases are sexual abuse from 11 counties in mid-Missouri. And, you know, we see about 400 to 500 children. So from there, we get that referral. Then our intake coordinator goes back 
and start scheduling with everyone. And you talk about a process, trying to get law enforcement and children's division and child safe and then the parent all in on one little, you know, to get there at that time. And she does a wonderful job of it. And then from there, we do a forensic interview. And a forensic interview is a one-on-one interview with a specially trained interviewer, which is what Andrew's getting ready to do. And that's where I started at as, a, as an interviewer in a small well, I say small. This room, our rooms in this building aren't small, but um, it's and everything is re, is recorded. So it's digitally recorded. And then in another room across the building on the other side is where children's division and law enforcement meet and they watch it live. Um, and our interviewers wear an earpiece. So if there's any more questions for clarification or things like that, you know, our interviews aren't like an interrogation. You know, that's law enforcement. So we're total opposite. We're child-friendly. We want to make sure they're open-ended questions. We want to make sure that that child feels comfortable. Do all kids disclose? Nope. Most of them are not ready to disclose. But um, we're going to try it anyway. Are there some that do disclose? Yes. And so while the interview is going on, then our advocates are working with the family or the non-offending caregiver. So it could be grandma. It could be anybody. And they're meeting with them, talking about what happened, how this all came about, where the perpetrator resides, if the perpetrator resides in the home, what they're going to do about trying to get him him or her out of the home. And then once that's done, then law enforcement comes back together with the family, law enforcement, children, and they just, they talk more about it. So, And then we also provide therapy services. Right now, we only have one part-time therapist. We are looking for a full-time therapist, which is not an easy task in Missouri right now. And so that's kind of like just a synopsis of what we do. Some of the things we hear about, I think when I started there, even though I worked at Children's Division, I don't think I ever heard the worst of the worst. But we've heard the worst of the worst in the last couple of years. So when you when you talk about uh, some of the children are pretty forthright and and uh, uh, speak right up, and then you've got the others that due to trauma or or whatever do not. So in those situations where you feel like you're not having as much success as you would like with the interview process, do you walk away from that uh, and then come back again? What happens in those situations? So it situations? kind of depends. Yes, most of the time we walk away from it. We, we, we'll shut it down because we don't want to put further trauma. We don't want that child to go through further trauma by sitting in there and saying, but you know, something happened, blah, 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 blah. We don't want to do that. And so we shut it down. If the child down the road comes back and, and or tells mom, gosh, I really I think I'm time, it's time for me to talk. We'll we'll readdress that. The problem is, is that our you know, when we get into court, it changes things because then it looks like we're fishing, you know, because the child didn't disclose the first time. Oh, so you brought him back in a second time so that we could prod it out of him. Right. Correct. And that's why we we're really careful when we bring kids back. When I speak with groups of people, adults, almost always, well, somebody will come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I was sexually abused as a child and I never told anyone. And, or I did tell somebody, I told my mom and they didn't, she didn't believe me or are told teacher and they're like, go sit down or whatever. So there are lots of reasons why kids don't disclose. Regarding the children that, that you work with, what's the range of ages of kids? We will interview children from three years old to 18. And the reason why we started at three is because kids below three really don't have the, the 
uh, communication skills to process what we're talking about. Uh, we have interviewed some that have been two and a half just out of pure because somebody is really, you know, law enforcement's really asked us to do it. We will, and they come and they disclose everything, but typically they don't. And then the age has changed in the state of Missouri for kids. They're no longer considered an adult at 17. It's now 18. But we've always interviewed um, up to 18 years old. And we also will interview developmentally delayed adults or a, with a disability, because we know that typically they may be scared to death to go into the police station and disclose anything too. So so you mentioned earlier one of the things that you also do in addition to the interview process, the fact-gathering process, just trying to get everything in a, in, in a row to go forward, sure. mm-hmm. that uh, you also were involved with getting children assistance through therapy and so yes. forth. Is, is that... Are you working with local people or organizations on that, or is that very far-reaching? So we've always had, from 2016 until just a year ago, we had our own full-time therapists, two of them, who were trauma-informed, trauma-trained um, with TFCBTT. TFCBT training. So, but then one of them retired and is only working part time. And then our other therapist took a job in, up at, in Missouri Valley because at Missouri Valley. So, what we know about these jobs is that the burnout rate is huge on on any of it because of what you're hearing over and over. And what the way I look at like with a therapist. So, we do an interview. We don't typically go back and revisit that. But with a therapist, they're revisiting every time the child comes in. And so I think the trauma is even, and I don't want to say one has more trauma than the other, but I, I think I had to finally sit there and realize that their trauma is even more because they're revisiting their, that child's trauma over and over. And you've you got to realize that most of these kids just don't have one trauma in their life. They've maybe had five. And so that's all being revisited. So we're not just here for the sexual abuse, but we get this taken care of, and then the trauma goes to another that's happened to them in their life. So therapy is hard to get. And right now, you know, a lot of funds were pushed out for mental health, but we don't have the clinicians to do it. And Missouri, and being in a rural area, Missouri's one of those tough, I mean, right where we're at, it's tough to get therapists. We do refer them out to outside of us. So if we get somebody, mom says, we really need therapy, we'll work and work and work until we can try to find somebody that has room to take them. But everybody's full. So when you talk about the therapy sessions, uh, uh-huh. in order to limit the, the number of places that sure. the child has to go to or see in connection with this. Are your therapy sessions, for the most part, also uh, taking place at the child safe location? Yes, we have a new. We actually expanded this last couple, this last year, and we have a new like wing. Before they were over on the other side. Now they've got their own little wing, where therapy only takes place in that wing. So they don't really have to go back and relive the the whole interview process because they don't even have to see that anymore. Before, they had to walk down the hall where the, the interview room was, but now it isn't. They go to a separate wing. The whole building's bright and cheery. I mean, that's what we wanted that to be a good place for kids to come to, but that therapy is even even more bright and cheery. It's it's And then it's got two doors where it's locked down to where nobody can go in there while they're in session because what they're saying is private. Same way with the interview room. We don't let anybody back there. Nobody's back there to or in the interview room with the interviewer and the child. At this point, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a few minutes with our second segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. A reminder that Let's Talk can be heard Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on News Talk 1050 KSIS. The show can also be heard on the KSIS radio app and also at KSISradio.com. You can contact us with any comments, questions, concerns, and ideas. 
Welcome back to our second segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. I'm Bo Matthews with John Meehan and Ron Tolner. We have with us today with Child Safe, the director, Mary Asbury. Ron? Thank you, Bo. Uh, Mary, uh, in our first segment, uh, I know you briefly mentioned the uh, number of uh, cases or individuals that, sh- that you deal with. And I think at the time you said uh, four to 500. Is that on an annual basis? That's on an annual basis. And we've, we've been back years ago, or not even years ago, just a few years ago, we've seen as high as 600. You know, it's either feast or famine. You either have a whole lot of interviews or you don't have a whole lot. So it's just kind of how it is. June, we did 42 interviews in June alone. So that, and then, but April, we only did 11. So you can kind of see how it varies from, and we cover 11 counties. So it's not just Pettis, but our biggest counties, counties are Pettis, Saline, Lafayette, and Johnson. That's where the majority of our cases come from because the other counties are pretty rural. And when you say you cover 11 counties, uh, the, the funding for everything that you do, uh, you're not a tax-based organization, right? Correct. So the majority of our funding comes from, about 60% of it comes from the VOCA grant, which is the Victims of Crime Act. And so what that is, is people think that's tax dollars, but it's not. So what happens in the United States is all those big businesses or the big guys, they are women, whatever, they get in trouble and they pay fines or they pay restitution and it goes into that fund and then it filters out to all the states. So that's how we get the majority of our funding. And then we do get state appropriations through the Children's Division, which are taxes, but it's, it's a small amount, somewhat a small amount. And then the rest of it is donations. And... I just have to say that uh, today has been probably one of the most generous places I've ever seen. Is the, the, they've just made sure that through the years that Child Safe has been taken care of. It's getting tougher because we are at level funding, so we didn't get an increase in funding. And so that means we're, we're riding level for the next two years, which is great that we have that funding. We know that we have that two and a half years. However, we know with the cost of living and all of that, everything's going up. So it, it makes my job a little tougher to figure out how we're going to filter in those other that other money. I, when you mentioned the VOCA grant, I've uh, that's familiar. I've heard that before because I think some of those same monies are are used in some other programs like CASA. They are. Yeah, CASA is the same way because they're a domestic violence or abuse shelter, so they do filter those through those as well. When you have a situation that you have to deal with, it sounds like you almost have to be a 24-7 operation. We are. We're. All, I mean, we're on call um, pretty much. Andrew and I are pretty much on call. It seems like or he doesn't know this yet, but pretty much all the time. Um, but we, we don't take as many emergencies as we probably should. And I think it's just because COVID kind of changed that a little bit. But yes, we've done emergencies at 11 o'clock at night. I think even when Andrew was a police officer or a detective, we've done even some of theirs at 11. 12 o'clock at night. It's not ideal for a child, but it's when we get those really those details that we need to have right then. Because what we know is from kids is that they start hearing, everybody talks about whatever happened. And so they start hearing everybody's details and then their details get into the child's interview. And so what we want to make sure is we're just getting from the child what happened. Right. Yeah, this, and the sooner you do that, yes. the, 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 the more likely that you don't have any uh, false information that gets in there or whatever. That's correct. You know, we have a small window of getting, the, of getting our interviews in. We only have like five days once we receive that referral to get these children in. And not all of them that come in in emergencies. We get interviews 
or requests for interviews or referrals for children who that maybe the abuse happened two years ago and they're just now telling somebody because something triggered it and that's what so but we, we try to get everybody in that five days we have two interview rooms right now we have one interviewer and I mean I could interview but I don't think they want me to do that because it's been a long time so and then but we're getting Andrew trained and we're getting uh, two other people trained so we'll be back up to full staff as far as interviews so we're going to pump out those interviews so Andrew uh, Bruce, who is uh, with uh, Mary here today and uh, is kind of, uh, I guess you would say, still a rookie with regard to working with uh, Child Safe. If you don't mind, Andrew, uh, I'd kind of like to hear what, what you have to say regarding what you've seen to date. Uh, how different is it than maybe what what you thought it was uh, and looking at it from the law enforcement side of things, how they how the two intertwine? Yeah, so uh, in law enforcement, whenever you uh, get these cases with child uh, sex crimes or physical abuse, um, and I also want to mention we also do interview children uh, or witnesses to uh, crimes, so they're not always the victim. But in the law enforcement side, you, you get the interview done, and then you go back and you do your report and you do your follow-up with the uh, suspects. Since my short time working at Child Safe, there is a lot more behind the scenes that goes into it that I did not realize. Um, at Child Safe, you know, part of my duty duties are um, MDT coordinator, which is multidisciplinary team. So we follow up through these cases until the end, until the perpetrator is either convicted or acquitted. Um, but we see it through the end to make sure these cases don't fall through the cracks. Andrew, your background is in law enforcement. What made you decide to change careers to go from law enforcement? And, and I realize this is connected, but yet this is kind of the other, quite different. What made you decide to do that? Well, uh, I decided to leave law enforcement because I, because I wanted to go back to college and get my degree in, in something else. And um, so I did that and then realized I missed um, the aspect of helping others and, and being able to um, make sure these crimes these people get justice for for what's happened to them and you know i i served on the board with child safe for a while um, i really enjoyed doing that and this opportunity came up and um, I, I jumped on it okay and, and, and we brought up uh, previously you talked about the interviewer you and mary both have talked about the training that goes involved with this tell our listeners about the training component of this so the training um it's a week-long training through i believe it's called child uh, child first um, or kids first zero abuse project and um, that's a week-long training that we will be um, myself and two other of our staff members will be attending um, at the beginning of August it, it's an in-depth training it's it, it trains you on how how to ask how to talk to these children and not a leading way um, you don't want to lead them into saying something that um, may not be true you just want them to talk about their experience and just listen and get all the details that you can isn't that a big switch from how we communicate on a, on a level in other words if I want to ask you a question it's going to be an open-ended question as opposed to so you've got to it's a total different way of communicating it, it very much is and it, it's also very different from uh, my previous career in law enforcement yeah, talking talking to suspects and and essentially calling them out on their lies. Um, <laughs> you, you can't do that with children. It's it's a completely different uh, interview. If you're just joining us, we have with us today Mary Asbury, the director for Child Safe, and Andrew Bruce, also with us today with Child Safe. Ron, are there any situations, guys, where for whatever reason you do not take 
a case? Well, we will take anything that's a conflict of interest. So if it's a uh, children's division staff whose child something happened or law enforcement or prosecution, anything, any of our partners that we, that we work with on a daily basis, we'll send them out to another CAC. And we've done that quite a bit. Um, you know, the, the closest CAC to us, it, there's one in Columbia, which is Rainbow House, and then CPC in Kansas City. So that's basically where we kind of trade back and forth. Um, there are cases where we, where we just don't feel that it's the best interest of the child, because that's really what this is about, to interview them. That there, either there's not an, enough allegations to bring them in, or, and we will do safety interviews where somebody suspects something happened, but they don't really know. And so those are just really broad-based interviews. And then by luck, if that child happens to disclose, then we'll go down that road. But those are those, those interviews that we won't do. And there, I mean, not that we have a lot of them, but we do see some referrals where we're like, heck no, we're not doing this interview. It's not in the best interest of the child. Um, custody cases, we see a lot of custody stuff, unfortunately. You know, somebody gets mad at somebody and they call in a hotline. And we'll still do those interviews. And we go in with an open mind. We don't want to go in there saying, oh, this is a custody issue. This is what's going on. And a lot of times we get in there and we realize, holy cow, there's been a whole lot going on in this, this family with these two people that are getting divorced. And I mean, it does kind of help. So it, I think it helps open up services for these families as they're going through that. But for the most part, we're going to do most, most everything that we receive. And I want to kind of jump back for a second with Andrew. You know, Andrew served on our, served on our board for three years. He was the youngest board member. Um, Andrew was probably one of the, the most interested in our budget, which I just really loved that about him because he would ask me hard questions or ask me questions. And, you know, that told me that he was listening. And, you know, Andrew and I kind of go by, way back. We spent a whole summer at the Boys and Girls Club when I worked there in the computer lab. I think he told me he was 18. Holy cow. Um, that was a long time ago. But it was obvious when this position came open. And another board member said, hey, have you thought about Andrew Bruce? I'm like, heck, no, I haven't, but heck yeah, we'll take him. So his, I mean, he has a lot of experience. We have never had law enforcement experience in on staff. And so that's given us a different perspective of what law enforcement has to do and why, why they do what they do. So it, I think it's only going to help our cases as we move forward. So, of course, you mentioned law enforcement, which obviously has a big part in this. When you, when you uh, have situations that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. what are the other typical organizations that you are working with on this, other organizations in the community, in the area? So other organizations, you know, our advocates are looking for maybe somebody needs housing or they need an access to food or maybe they just need food. And, or maybe we need to try to find transportation because we send all of our, our children, if they're skin-to-skin -skin contact, we send, we send them to children's mercy so we can we can reach out to those other organizations in town and we have some we give gas cards and food cards to make sure that they have a way to pay for gas and they have a way to eat while they're there um, so it's those advocates have to stay on top of those other organizations so they know what to offer the families when they come in if they need it you know some I think a misconception is that all families that we see are lower you know the lower economic income it's not abuse happens in all walks of life unfortunately it gets reported more on the lower economic than it does on the on the, you know, the people that can afford everything. So I think that that's a misconception. And then the misconception is that it's all men. It's not all men. Women abuse too. Believe it or not, women sexually abuse, they don't abuse is on the same rate as men, but they also, the children that they abuse are older. They're usually typically uh, middle school to high school. Um, and that's just a whole other thing that I think interesting part of what we do that we're going to dive in as, as we go on because we're hearing more and more of those cases of teachers. So, And, you know, that's the other thing, too, is that typically the child, uh, the abuser is somebody they know, love, and trust. 
you know, when my kids, my kids are all in their 30s. Um, when they were young, I taught them about stranger danger. I never even thought to teach them about our neighbor or a family member or somebody at church. I mean, you know, and it is. It's, it's all, all of those people. So you need to be teach your children about that part so that it's not just the guy that has the panel band and the, the mustache and things like that. So, sorry, just a little humor in there. <laughs> I know you're all looking because they all have mustaches. Oh, well, so, well yeah, well, I'm looking more at John myself. <laughs> so, no, but, yeah. That, you know, I think back in the 70s, that's kind of what people thought. That was a stereotypical person that they thought. So, so as you indicated earlier, of course, uh, Child Safe here has been around a number of years now. You said it was what year did it start? 2001 was the first interview, but they started in, a, in 1998. Okay, so we're talking... Over 21 years, 22 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... Well, obviously, the the children that you assisted in those early years are middle-aged adults right. now. Do, do you ever hear anything back from uh, people that you have assisted in the past? Sure. And, you know, um, Missouri doesn't have a statute of limitations anymore on these crimes. So what we're seeing is that perpetrators are being caught again, and then they find out that there is a grown adult who we saw back maybe 15 years ago, um, who Beth Jackman may, might have interviewed, and they're asking for that, those those interviews, and so we we say we have everything back to our very first interview. So we'll provide them with what they need, and we've had a couple cases where it has helped the the now case, um, and they actually got charges brought up on the case back then, um, and so that's I mean that's huge. But yeah, we do hear we hear it all the time. In some ways, I hate to ask this next question because I'm uh, afraid of what the answer might be. But do do you see situations again being around for as long as the organization has, mm-hmm. and and knowing how family situations impact the future? Sure. Uh, do, do you ever see situations where victims are subsequently uh, perpetrators? You know, there was some thought years, several years ago, that if if a child was sexually abused and they were going to be a perpetrator, but that's not that's not true. We we're now seeing research that shows that typically they're not. And you know, a perpetrator could be there's different reasons, many different reasons why they why they do what they do. But um, that that part doesn't have anything any, anymore. We we know that, that research is showing that it doesn't. That's good news. Yes. Let's take a break. We'll return in a couple of minutes with our third and final segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS. A reminder that Let's Talk can be heard Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on News Talk 1050 KSIS. The show can also be heard on the KSIS radio app and also at KSISradio.com. You can contact us with any comments, questions, concerns, and ideas. Welcome back to our third and final segment of Let's Talk on News Talk 1050 KSIS with John Meehan, Ron Tolner, and we have Mary Asbury, the director for Child Safe, and Andrew Bruce with Child Safe with us. Ron, you're picking things back up. Thank you, Bo. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for being here today. Uh, This is an extremely important program in my mind. We've, uh, we've talked to a lot of public service uh, organizations uh, in our tenure uh, with this program. You mentioned something earlier, Mary, when you talked about the generosity of this community. And it is something, uh, as John and I and Bo have done these programs, how many times we have heard that. Yes. Uh, of course, not just with Child Safe, but, but with all of the other organizations in this community that are here to assist people. Um, 
one of the reasons we do this program is that we want people to be aware of all of the great things about this sure. community. Right. And it has certainly uh, proved out that uh, this is just a great place. It is. And, you know, anytime we've ever had a fundraiser, our community comes out. Um, you know, and I'm going to just plug it. We have our dessert auction coming up in November. And the first year that this is number 13, the first year that they did it, they made 2000 And last year we cleared 18000 on desserts. So, um, you know, and it's a fun time. People like to come just because it's fun. And even we were at the end of COVID, so to speak. And I think that maybe kept our crowd down. But doggone it, they came out there, I mean, in full force and, and purchased and bid and um, came in and ate. So and it just makes us feel good when we get all those, everybody in that room and they hear what we do. Well, you mentioned COVID. And I don't know how many different programs that we've done. And that's always been a question that we uh, raise to uh, our guests uh, with regard to the pandemic and COVID and, and just what kind of an impact it had on their organization. How, how would you respond to that? So 2020, I mean, I laugh and joke about this a little bit. It felt like the earth kind of t- tilted, but it, it did, so to speak, in, in our opinion, or my opinion, it did. COVID changed how we did everything from we never closed at all. We stayed open. We went through periods of time where our staff had COVID. And, and then, like, for me, I got it at the very end of the two years. But what what we thought was going to happen across the state was that they were our referrals were going to decrease because the amount of um, hotlines coming into the canyon it decreased but in reality ours didn't some places it did we stayed probably we I think we even increased but what we noticed in 2020 was that the severity of what we were seeing had increased and it, it had gotten worse and worse and that's not even a word worse so um, I ran the stats for 2011 to 2020 for witness to homicide or witness to witness to a violent crime and we had seen 23 cases in that period of time and we saw five of those in 2020 so we you know a child fatality we had a little bit of everything in that 2020 and what that did was it took a toll so to speak on our staff because not only were we going through all this with covid and we were seeing these cases, then we were in the middle of process of moving and relocating and going through all that. And so we saw a year ago, we probably about eight months of, we had a huge turnover and we've not had a turnover prior to that. So I think that COVID affected in those cases, um, affected how we kind of did business as well. So as a director, I've, I've started to get some safeguards set up so that we don't get back to where we were, which is some of it is just doing some fun things. Like we went through Axis one time. We're going to uh, Retrieving Freedom next week to tour that. Taking it during work time and giving everybody a little bit of fun. Um, I think before Memorial Day, we closed at noon on a Friday. So trying to give everybody just a little bit of time to relax. And I know for me, um, those cases, I don't typically let things get to me too much, but those cases, some of those cases in 2020, I think pretty much rocked me as well. So I think that that says a lot about the severity. When I was looking at your website and uh-huh. getting information for this program, I know there was a reference out there. Uh, the basic concept was you were you were telling people to err on the side of over-reporting as, as opposed to not reporting. And of course, um, as I was thinking about that, that, that brought to mind uh, an, another uh, problem in our society, and that's, of course, the gun violence. And sure. you, know, you talk about uh, how something after it happens, if you look back at the history, there were signs all over the place. Um, 
And I guess the same can be said about this. It is. There's always signs and people, you know, people don't want to get involved or, well, I don't really know if that's what it was. You know, if you're not a mandated reporter, like we're mandated reporters, but if you're just the average person who's not a mandated reporter, you don't have to have any evidence to report. All you have to do is suspect. All you, I mean, it, it, what's it going to hurt if you call? Because, you know, we were telling like UPS drivers and during COVID and stuff um, and all, FedEx and if, if you go to the door and that child comes and you, you go on a couple times and then all of a sudden the child has a huge black eye, it, the child may have fallen, but you don't know that. And so I would, as a parent, I think I would much rather somebody call in a hotline and I, they come out and talk to my child than not, n nobody react to that. And then, um, then we've got something else even worse. So I think that's important. Uh, Mary, I, I understand that there, within certain professions, there are mandated reporters. And you alluded to that. So yes. who else falls into that so category? Law enforcement, children's division, teachers, or any kind of school personnel, boys and girls club, after school personnel are all mandated reporters, physicians, nurses. Okay. Um, it's you know it's anybody who is in that profession of seeing a child or on an ongoing basis. Daycares, they're all manda mandated reporters as well. Um, I taught at Head Start for years and years, and we were mandated. Okay. Um, and, you know, the process has changed, too, because the law has changed. Years ago, when I taught at Head Start, I had to go to my supervisor, and then they called in the hotline. That's not how it is in Missouri anymore. If you are in that profession, you're a mandated reporter, you are mandated by law to report it. Now, you may have to have, there may be a policy that you have to go talk to your supervisor or your principal or whatever afterwards, but you don't have to have permission and should not get permission to um, call in a hotline. Like when the staff come to me and say, hey, I need to, should I call in a hotline? I can't tell you whether you can or, or whether you should or not. I might be able to process things with you and talk things through with you, but it's your decision to make that hotline. Excellent. Well, so. and I know in the past, uh, many over the many years, you hear a reference to um, the hotline, somebody being hotlined, mm -hmm. and the fact that if they are hotlined and it's a, a false alarm, uh, how it can impact that person going forward or be detrimental to their career and so on and so forth. Number one, my thinking is that's really not the case no, because things are. There's a lot of discretion yes. uh, that is involved when when the appropriate authorities follow up uh, on a hotline. And I guess the second thing that comes to mind, the, the the fact that if you don't do it, what's the potential damage? Exactly. And you know, children's division has changed over the years, and really, those. The, those people that do those jobs, they're the frontline people. They're out there in the trenches all through COVID, all through everything with the allocations have been cut for investigators and the caseloads are huge. When I worked there, I always say I did my time because that's what it felt like for two years. Um, the allocation, I mean, the, the cases are huge, but unless you, they found that you did it um, and there's a preponderance of evidence, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't go on your background check. It doesn't, it doesn't do any of that. So what does it hurt? I mean, it, it doesn't hurt for if you suspect something, call it in. And Lord knows it can certainly help. It could. Yep, for sure. So let's let's change it up here a second okay. and go back to your organization, uh -huh. uh, because you've got a great group of people. I we know do. you mentioned the numbers yes. before, but uh, elaborate on those folks and what they do for you. So we have two. We Right now, we have one full time interviewer. Her name is Crystal Tixon and Crystal is bilingual, which is huge for our organization as well. And she's an interviewer. She started out. She's been there five years. She started out as an advocate and then moved into interviewing. Um, we have Jenny Shaver, who's from Marshall. She's our, she started as an advocate now, believe it or not, as our finance director. So, I mean, there's ways to move around. We just hired Ashley Witt from Stover. She's our education and outreach. So she's going to get right back into the community. And we took a break from our education program for a little bit. And she's going to train. She's going to have things that are our, our um, 
center and so then we have Andrew then we have um, Madison and Callie who are new advocates and we have John um, Hire who is also an advocate and so they work with the families while all that other interview stuff is going on. Do I leave anybody out Andrew? Rebecca um, Connor who is also an advocate. And then uh, you've also mentioned briefly uh, the, the board of directors and again the fact that Andrew was one time on the board of directors before he came on staff. Uh, your board, um, it's its not just one to sit there and be pretty. They're active. They're active. They, and that's the way, for the most part, that's the way it's always been. So up until Andrew decided to leave the board, um, I'm just kidding, but we had nine. We have room for 13. And it, right now it's hard to get people to come on, you know, to go on boards. We don't ask for any monetary donation to be on our board. We just need you on the board. Um, and so our board president is uh, Cindy Carson, who was a retired police commander who um, teaches at the college. And then we have Heather Lynn, who works for Children's Division. We have Shelly Shugart, which was Graf, who's probation and parole. We have Shirley Johnston, who was probation and parole. Judy Gerke, who's a teacher. Daniel Naylor, who works for Septagon. I think that's it. We hope. I hope I didn't leave anybody out. There's like eight of them right now. So. Yeah, I saw that name, Judy Gerke. She was my children's favorite babysitter. Oh, that's ago. awesome. <laughs> well, she's our, on our board, and it, it, I mean, she's and, and Shannon Boshin is still officially on, who uh, is with the prosecuting attorney. You mentioned earlier too uh, about the new facility that that you're in now. Uh, tell us how that came to pass and where it's at, what it consists of, how much better it is. So you know we were located in a building over by the junior high, which there was no um, confidentiality at all because if the child happened to be in Pettis County, the kids would walk by after school and would know that. Um, we were 1,800 square feet. So when I became the director, I my task was I decided we're going to get into some kind of form of a building. Well, I knew that our grant would help pay for the lease, so that's I, I'm like we just need to do whatever. So I reached out to um, Josh Kruger, with, who owns him and uh, his dad, Kevin Kruger, and Ken Weymouth own um, Fazoli's and some other things. And so I said, hey, can you just come give us a, bil a bid on expanding? <laughs> he came over there and he's like, where are you expanding to? And I'm like, back here. And he goes, okay, so I'll try. But then he realized the foundation, we just couldn't do it. So he said, hey, what if I find a place for you guys? Would you, be, would you think, or think about it? And I said, well, yeah, if you find something. So we kind of went through, this was two and a half years ago, uh, 2019, actually, when we started. So we went through some different processes, and everything fell through. And then finally, he called me one day and said, hey, I, I got an idea. We'd like to build a building, um, and we'd like to lease it to you guys, and there'll be somebody in the front. And then you guys would be in the back. 4,000 square feet. I'm like, heck, yeah, we're in. So um, it's kind of evolved since then, though, because they couldn't because of COVID, the company that was going to rent the front part, they, they didn't do it. So he came to our, Josh came to our board about a year ago, uh, to our board president and said, would you guys be interested in, well, first he called me and I said, heck no, we're not, we don't need any more space because I'm always worried about money. So um, and then he asked her and of course Cindy was like, yeah, we'll do it. So I thought, okay, I guess I don't have any, I mean, we're in. So it has been, it was a lot of work, but it's been wonderful. The new space has opened us up with an additional about 4,500 square feet. So I'd like to go back just a second when we were talking about staff, because, heck, I don't want to leave anybody out because they're all so important to what we do. And I left out Lee Allen Cook, who is our intake coordinator. And doggone it, if we didn't have her, we wouldn't be able to do what we, need, we have to do. She's like our backbone of getting everything scheduled. And then Dorothy is our front desk uh, receptionist. And then Brenda Corbett is our part-time um, therapist right now. So I, I didn't want to leave any of them out. So as we wrap this uh, up, Mary, mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what's a final thing you would like uh, our listeners to know about Child Safe? 
I think that if everybody just has an open mind on it and realizes that child abuse happens and that kids don't typically lie about it um, and make those hotlines if you see something, that's huge. Um, and then maybe come to our dessert auction and uh, visit us there and buy some cake and have a good time. But that's just a little shameless plug for that. But um, I think that's what's important is the work that we do every day. You know, I'm super proud of that building. I work my tail off to get it, but I'm more proud of what we do every day. And that's what's important is what we do. One other thing we ought to stick in here. If someone has something to report, how do they do it? What do they call? They call 1-800-392-3738. And that's the hotline in the state of Missouri. That, and it goes for, it's for the whole state. And that's what's important. That's all the time we have this morning. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk. Join Ron Tolner, John Meehan, and myself, Bo Matthews, every Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on News Talk 1050 KSIS.